This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows. This week, Earth Star Voyager, part two. Excuse me, Beanie. I just thought of something. If you adjust this coordinate from 2.7 to 2.9... I already thought of that. Well, it could increase the maneuvering capability. I know that, and it's what I'm doing right now. Oh, so sorry to interrupt the genius at work. Apology accepted. Thank heavens. I mean, I would hate to have the real brains of the ship mad at me. Priscilla. But as long as the apology's been accepted... Priscilla, will you please shut up? Ho, ho, ho. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast swimming in the holiday spirit. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's festive, Jordan? I just realized, is it is this our Christmas episode? Of course it's our Christmas episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course it is, because this is... Tomorrow's Christmas. Tomorrow's Christmas. This is the... the uh, December 25th is tomorrow. Yeah. A beautiful, snowy day. We've got our eggnogs in front of us. That is nice, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, the most wonderful time of the year. How do you like your eggnog? With a little cinnamon? A little cinnamon. Maybe put a little cream on top, if you want a treat. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of dairy, but why not? You are a big eggnog fan, right? I am a big eggnog fan. Yeah. I do like eggnog. Not yourself? It's okay. I enjoyed it. Around the holiday season. I know that you like it more than me. Definitely. Be- because I've been to your place and had eggnog. Yes. And you're an eggnog family. Well, that, that's <laughs> not even true. I'm the only one in my family who likes eggnog. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think anyone in my family likes it either. I'll have it at Christmas and be like, yeah, that's a Christmas drink. But not. I'm not like yearning for it as the year goes on. No, uh, my girlfriend Mel, she, uh, she figured out how to make it fresh for me. So now occasionally I get a fresh eggnog as well. Mm. Not just store-bought anymore. Although I'll take either. I don't, I'm not picky. What a fancy boy. Huh? I'm a real fancy boy. Well, speaking of fancy boys, Jordan, Santa Claus came for you. Oh, no. I was a little gift. Oh, that's nice. You know, what I, you know what I hate? I think this happened last year, and I also didn't get a gift. So now I got to get you a gift. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, and it's lovely wrapped. So I open it on the air, I'm assuming? Yeah, of course. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll just tease them. Just tell them I gave you a gift and then never never tell them what it was. I hope, I hope it's... Uh, Uh Uh-oh. It's apparel. It's yellow. Yes, it's a bright yellow. Your color. Ooh. It's a Planet of the Apes t-shirt. Oh, and it's Urko. Yes, it's General Urko from Planet of the Apes as a t-shirt. wow. Uh, I also enjoy Planet of the Apes is uh, El Planeta Seminios. (laughs) So this is like a Spanish... Is this an authentic Spanish version of the shirt? I mean, it's as authentic as I could find. El Jefe de los Erequitos... Is that Erecitos? Erecitos? Simos. That's my Spanish. Sorry, everyone who actually speaks Spanish. That's lovely. Thank you very much. Oh, Merry Christmas. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll wait to wear it to work when I'm back in the office. Oh, what a treat. Everyone will, everyone everyone will have a treat. Questions. They'll be like, what was that? I'm like, well, in 1975, they started an idea. And then... <laughs> All right, Jordan. Uh, shall we get into this week's mm-hmm. episode? Before we actually get into the episode. I did a little bit of looking at the creatives behind the scenes of Earth Star Voyager to see oh, if there okay. was any, anything of interest behind the people who made the show. I assume they all commit suicide after this. <laughs> no, not at all, actually. <laughs> You'd be surprised. There's yeah. some real talent behind the show. Oh, well, okay. Let's hear it. Uh, uh, I, I, I mean, we, we all have I really, talent to I an really, extent. I really built that up, and we'll see if that actually <laughs> delivers here. So Steven Spielberg. Wow. The, the writer of it was Ed Spielman. Oh, okay. And who's he? Uh, he's the creator of the TV series Kung Fu. With David Carradine. 
I always kind of wanted to watch the original because I did watch the not very good Legend Continues, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it as a kid, even though I know it's not very good. But uh, that's something. Absolutely. That was a very famous show. It inspired Tarantino to make a million movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other piece that I thought was interesting was uh, you noted the theme song to the show. Yeah, I do like the theme song. Uh, it was the composer, Alalo Schifrin. Okay. He has 214 composer credits. Wow. So I'll give you just a brief taste of what you might know him from. He did the theme to Mission Impossible. Did he really? Mm-hmm. He did Bullet, Enter the Dragon. He did all the Dirty Harry movies. He did all the Rush Hour movies. Wow. And this is a pretty good resume. He did Planet of the Apes, the TV series. Oh, really? Absolutely. But he might be my favorite composer now. You actually should. You should absolutely look at his uh, resume. He's done everything. And I, I do genuinely really enjoy the theme of this show. And I know we differ on our feelings on some of this, the show, but the theme song really jazzes you up. It's, it's, it is a good theme song. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, from an iconic composer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Should we do it then? Let's do it. Here's the IMDb summary for part two. In 2088, title ship is launched to investigate whether a planet in a solar system some 18 light years from Earth would be suitable as a new home for the human race. This planet, called Demeter, bracket, the Greek god of corn, grain, and harvest, <laughs> close bracket, was discovered by an earlier mission which took some fuzzy video footage and sent it back to Earth before vanishing without a trace. That's kind of the overall plot of the all three hours of this, but that's not the plot of this episode. I mean, uh, what what is the plot? I mean, I think that's an issue, but there's a lot of little micro plots. It's it's all about assembly. It's it is all about assembly. That's true. I always say that it's all about assembly. You're <laughs> yeah. always assembling like some sort of IKEA furniture. Yeah, so yeah sure. and then after I'm done, I just go like I look in the mirror at myself and I go, "It's all about assembly." <laughs> Uh, so where we left off uh, in the last part of part one was uh, Beanie was trying to hide the Earthstar Voyager from the mysterious ship that was following them. He's also having a bit of a fight with uh, the AI Priscilla. Do you remember this at the beginning? I do. Yeah. She's being very passive aggressive to him. And he's being very sarcastic to her. And at some point he tells her to shut up. Yeah. He tells her to shut up. And then she just does shut up. And then she's like, oh, I thought you told me to shut up later when they ask her to do something. I was like, this is a terrible, terrible idea to give this computer this not only a human personality, but a very combative personality. Yeah. It is the first time I've ever seen an AI this combative and like emotionally charged outside of some sort of comedy about an AI. Right. Or like it's gone, something's gone wrong. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. We haven't seen what the upside of Priscilla is ever. All we ever see is the negative of her. Well, and Beanie always seems to know how to do her job better than her. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, no, they literally have a, a line later on where he figures out something before the computer does. I was like, I think... At very least, in need of a big upgrade. <laughs> um, and also where we left off last episode is uh, Captain Jonathan and his kid crew on the expo, an abandoned satellite World's Fair, watching uh, Commander Brown fight the barbarian leader Top Dog. To the <laughs> oh, bed. yeah. I forgot it was called Top Dog. Good old Top Dog. Um, and as, as that fight continues, uh, I had predicted that he would, Top Dog would just immediately get kicked into the uh, void, but he does not. No, the fight goes on much longer than I thought it would as well. And uh, Commander Brown gets shot repeatedly. Well, here's the thing. I know it's just one of those things in TV, but the last time we saw the wrist laser be used on a guy, like he was incapacitated yeah. and that was it. Yeah. And this, he, it's sort of a very powerful stun that is like a very 
uh, severe blow that you take. You get knocked down and you sort of are woozy and a little dizzy. But then he, you know, because he's that real macho kind of guy, he just fights through it. He hears the crowd chanting. He's like, you know, USA, USA. And he just can't, he can't Brown, not you have, can't keep Brown down. You can't keep him down. And he just, he keeps going. But yeah, he gets shot at least three or four times. That's your motto, right? You can't keep Brown down. That's, well, that's his, yeah. He, he made them put that on the ship. On the ship? That's on the side of the until, ship now. Until the mutiny happened. It's, it's very, uh, it's very, yeah. So that, that's why the mutiny happened. Yeah. They're like, you're really, uh, you're really bothering us with this catchphrase of yours. But they do fight for a while. And what I like, I don't know how much you want to talk about. Like, there's a lot of kicking. There's a lot of shooting. But it culminates in uh, Brown getting thrown down the hole. Yeah, that was a real shocker for me, too. They yeah. throw Brown into the smoking, foggy, pink and, hole. And you don't know what it is, but you assume it's just some sort of uh, crater into the planet or the moon or whatever they're on. Yeah, it's just a, a ship? it's a satellite, yeah. A satellite. The, Im- the implication is would, it would go down to the OTZ scientists, the Outlaw Technology right. Zone scientists. But yeah, that, that seemed to be the implication. But they, make the, they make the comment that it's so deep that a few people have fallen down and no one has ever yeah, come no back up. Yeah, no one knows how deep it is because anyone yeah. who's gone down has never come back up. Yeah. And we see Top Dog, like, he's cheering. He's, the people are cheering while he's standing in front of the pit. He celebrates too early. You know that's one of my favorite things to watch. I know. People you, celebrating too early. They really telegraph that. Yeah. The, the kids finally break out of their cell and start making their way to escape now that Brown's been killed, theoretically. But yes, it is that great moment where you're waiting and you're like, how, how is this going to resolve? And he just, like... Hops out of the hole like it's nothing. Yeah, he hops out like it's like four feet deep. Because I think cause the thing is, the, the hole is maybe four feet deep, but they don't really mask it very well. So he just hops out. I'm like, but how, how, how did he do it? I, You know what? I loved it. I yeah. loved, he hops out as if it was nothing. And he stands there and Top Dog doesn't notice for a while. And finally, uh, Brown just is like, hi. He just says, hi. That's just like. Then uh, the fight continues. And but this it is this is moves what, into the rafters. Yeah, yeah. It's like did they go back to where uh, Top Dog would always kind of like showboat and jump off and stuff. So it's it's sort of like a really big throne, but also a it's building. Scaffolding, and, yeah. It's yeah. like a lot of scaffolding. So they basically it becomes for one point for about thirty seconds just like male gymnastics. They're both like I know they're uh, like aer- 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 aerobatics or something. They're like yeah. jumping around, swinging off of things. Yeah. And this we'll see it again. Not only does he kick, he loves to climb. Commander Brown later mm. will also climb more scaffolding. He's like a monkey man. We've seen him at least do it three times. I, I, no, this is going to come on later, but he kicks someone by jumping and scaffolding. He did it in the first episode at least once or twice, and he's done it again here. He loves climbing and then jumping. I will get. Th- I've never seen a character who's just like his go-to is to climb and kick. Yeah, but I love it. It's wild. But Luke, let me tell you, is it not an effective uh, means of attack? He's great at it. Yeah, maybe that's it his feet are his strongest weapon so he needs to get off the ground yeah. he needs to be in the air to really he's be like effective. what's his face from planet of the apes he also needed to jump and leap and kick people <laughs> whatever that guy's name the brown-haired one uh, galen no 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 oh, you th- you mean the men yeah yeah pete was it pete pete i mean both of them were real kickers that's true so they get into a fight but how does um uh, old uh beardo brown how does he stop the little laser wrist gun he takes the belt off of his pants Mm-hmm. And he like whips it around the man's wrist where his like uh, bracelet force field shooter is, and that disarms it temporarily. Yeah, I mean it's a kind of a convenient thing. It, it what it makes it look like almost as if sort of like reversing the ground on electricity charge, right. where it now goes backwards and electrocutes the guy. But for some reason, 
that charge was much worse than the like 15 times he shot brown top dog just weak yeah it just is a way to have him knock him down and then brown's all like didn't you remember i designed this thing and i was like what you designed that it's an electromagnetic force field generator but it's like some way of tweaking it to turn it into a weapon and i guess he taught him how to do that so top dog you can't beat the master but there you are so he's the new top dog it is great because they're all chanting like whoever you are you rule they're all chanting that up to the thing and he grabs like a big piece of metal. Looks like he's going to like slice Top Dog's throat for them all. But instead, he saws off his ponytail. Yeah. Throws it to the crowd. And did you see it as he threw it into the crowd? They're very excited to get this ponytail. Into the crowd, one of the extras right up front, he's just dressed as a boxer. He's in boxing shorts with two boxing gloves on. <laughs> I didn't see he's just sta- like There's just a boxer standing in the middle of the crowd. <laughs> I didn't see that. And I, I take that to mean... These warriors are all like specific like martial arts and one guy's oh, just a right. boxer. They're like characters from Street Fighter. Like he lo- he just looked like a Rocky or something just in boxing gloves oh, and funny. baggy shorts. I'm like, there's a boxer right there. But Lance now is defeated. Lance or Top Dog. I um, prefer Top Dog. I, I like how right after this, like almost immediately, they're just like, all right, well, let's get back in the shuttle. And then they're back on the ship. Yeah. He turns around and sees the kids like, well, let's get out of here. Uh, but not only do they get they leave on the ship, they bring two people with them. This is a, a weird thing. So in this episode, I only sort of noticed at the end that there's two characters that we introduced in the first episode, which is, is it Lonnie? Lanny? Uh, Lanny. Lanny? Lanny is the one in the coma right yeah. now. They introduce her. She doesn't really have anything to do with the second episode. They also introduce the um, psychiatrist or whatever he is. Yeah, Dr. Eugene, yes. Doesn't do anything in this episode. Yeah, he's, he's gone from this episode. So it's weird that they've introduced them. But then on the second episode, they're like, instead of finding a way to create more stuff for those characters to do they're just like here's two new characters oh by the way we're all also not going to give them any dialogue or anything to do i mean i was just wowed by the idea that like this show which you know starting off as a pilot already has a huge cast in the second episode as they're leaving the warrior satellite expo they're like you willie yeah you're, you're coming with us and you guy with a stick who fought top dog what's your name whistle stick great <laughs> come along too i know but it's just weird because it feels like they don't have the desire to to work with the characters they have but like let's add more i didn't hate it i thought it was very funny they brought these characters on abruptly and to be fair i think for my palatability of this show the idea they added like two more adult characters to the crew right i was like i'm like a little bar on board i was just like well at least it'll get like there'll be some variation fair enough fair enough although i have to say i'm a little worried and we're gonna see it in this episode because they basically have introduced two adult or three now adult men into a crew of teenagers. And Commander Brown is very heavily, once they get back to the ship, trying to get it on with Dr. Sally. Yeah. To be fair, she is 24. There's only a 12-year difference between them. But there's just something very unnerving about it. I agree. About and, it. and they shoot it in a very weird way, too. Where well, he like, we're just going to say, it, like later on, it's like she comes into a room and it looks like she's been looking for him. And he's just like lounging on the couch in this I'm a sexy Burt Reynolds sort of way. Yeah, he's very Burt Reynolds-y. But she did establish last episode she likes older men. That is true. She told the whole story of the professor she was in love with. So they're really seeding this romance. Yeah, that's it's, true. Which is bizarre, but and, they're and, really going for and it. And we've mentioned that she has Marky Post haircut. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. No one has forgotten <laughs> that about Dr. Sally. <laughs> anyway, now that they're, uh, they're all back on uh, the ship off the expo, old Admiral Beasley, who's still following them from, from behind, he... Uh, he it gets he gets a notification that uh, they were on Expo. They've left now. He decides he's going to go land on Expo and just find out what the crew is up to down there because he's following them. We don't mm-hmm. know why. He has mysterious intentions. And he goes down there, and what he finds is uh, all of the people on Expo are bullying Top Dog. Yeah, basically, he's being emasculated 
to the point where they're like chasing him around like yeah. you're chasing a, a a kid around a gym or something yeah and he's all like help me like i'm uh, it's pathetic and and the admiral's all like Ooh, this was all part of my plan and or it's not or you didn't do it or you did and i was like what is he talking about uh, yeah he's kind of there to admonish top dog for sending a distress signal which distracted the earth star voyager and brought them there and he didn't want that to happen but he seems to know Top Dog because Top Dog's like yeah. begging him. He's like, take me with you. I can still be helpful. And he's just like, no, you, you stay here. Well, and what I think this scene was doing, because it did, if you're just watching this as a standalone, which we are, it's weird to have this sort of odd ending because there's no hard ending. It's sort of like they keep going like, well, you might see Top Dog again in the future. I think that's what they're trying to do is like in future episodes, he's going to be a character. But in terms of this standalone thing, it's such a weird not satisfying ending for him where it's like uh, i'd like to be a villain still and they're like nope and you're like uh, and then he's just left there i mean i guess that's it they probably want to bring him back i mean what it really does is implies that we're seeing more that admiral beasley knows more than he's letting on yes. for us basically but that's but it. to be fair they've been doing that every scene with him his he's only comes in and it's like there's something uh, nefarious hey, happening least, or maybe not at least gotta leave his room this is the first time we got to see him leave his desk that's true so yes Let's pop back to the ship, and um, I want to talk very quickly about a few things that happened here. We already talked about Dr. Uh, Doctor Sally and Commander Brown. Yeah. Um, we also get a return trip to the uh, gym for some more mime workouts. Can I mention the one thing, though, that he says, uh, that Brown says to uh, a Marky Post? They're talking, and, and she ba- the basic talk is about how she feels disappointed in her brother and how she's she's thanking him. For not killing the brother, but also they may be having some romantic tension, blah, blah, blah. But he says to her at one point, because I wrote it down, uh, he gives her some advice. And he says, once you love somebody, it's pretty hard to quit just because you auto. And then he goes, that's from the book I'm writing. <laughs> and I went, what? What? And I was like, hold on. Is that just like a pithy quote from his book? Or is his book just a bunch of quotes? Which is what I assume. And he's been, and that's what I think he's been spending his time on that on that ship all by himself. I mean, he's had he's had four years to work on that book. It's coming yeah. along. It's coming along great. But remember that, Luke. Once you love somebody, it's pretty hard to quit just because you oughta. Hey, true words. Yeah, never been spoken, Jordan. Anyway, <laughs> that's that. Yeah, I mean, that sort of we'll see a few glimpses of their romance, but it kind of moves on from there. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to say, like, I just wanted to note that we go back to the gym, and there's a new gym teacher. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, because the other guy got sucked right out of the uh, the portal. Sonia, I believe her name is. She's just hanging out there helping out. There's something weird about the way the exercise is um, staged and shot. I guess because the room's not that big. Do you notice everyone exercises directly beside each other? Like, everyone's touching. Yeah, it's it. they're very... I mean, it's kind of... I guess it'd be like laying on... At a gym, if you were on a yoga mat, you guys would be, like, lined up, kind of. Yeah. But it is fun. People, they do step over each other, like... It, it, the way I think the camera set up too, they want to keep them all in frame. Right. And it is, it is like the only thing that really happens in the gym too this time is we get to meet the new gym teacher, Sonia. We get to watch them do more mime work, which I cannot get enough of. I love watching them fake exercise. Yeah. And uh, we just get to see Huxley check out babes. Yeah. He's just like, every, like everyone's in gym clothes and Huxley's like, can you believe these babes, Beanie? Look at the babes. Yeah. He even leaves at some point. Like a lady leaves. He's like, I got to follow that babe. It's great. But he's, yep. he loves babes. <laughs> and... As they're traveling through space, they pick up some old Earth radio broadcasts. Yeah, what a non-scene that this was. It was it was a very odd choice, but it's like I guess the idea is they're they're passing through just yes. old radio things. But we get to hear a speech by Oliver North. 
uh, former U.S. Marine uh, responsible for the uh, part of the Iran Iran Contra uh, uh, affair. Mm-hmm. A weird choice of things, but I well, guess it's, it's probably it, contemporary. It was it was very uh, topical at the time. I had to look it up. We hear the Lone Ranger theme, mm-hmm. and uh, we hear some rock and roll. Yeah, and uh, Huxley's a big fan of one he, particular song. Yeah, he loves it. He starts dancing. Do you know what that song was? Well, I can't remember what it was. It was uh, "Great Gosh Almighty" by Little Richard. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, it was. But he loves it. He starts dancing. They're all like, look at Huxley's dancing. He loves rock and roll. It was really an unfair scene for that poor actor. Yeah. That poor teen actor. They're just like, just dance. Like, you really love this song. And no one else is going to join you. It's one of those scenes where I have I have this feeling a lot of times when I'm watching TV. If I see something that's particularly cringy and embarrassing, I feel really bad for the actor. And this is one of the scenes where I was like, you're right. I was like, uh, there's no way you're going to make this look good. It's just embarrassing for it, everyone it involved. Was, it was cruel to a teen, like a, a young actor to just be like, you have to now just dance for the camera just yeah. dance for us yeah. to, to a song i'm sure you've never heard before today yeah oh oh and why the scene's gonna be about five minutes it's just you dancing for five minutes but priscilla loves it <laughs> yeah she does the ai loves watching him dance i also liked that they they don't develop that too much more but there's a a great moment where um huxley's complaining about how the only chick who's into him on the whole spaceship is uh doesn't have a body and uh priscilla's like you have such a lack of imagination. Yeah. Like I was just like, she really, she really has some idea of how they can like get physical. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many weird little seeds of stuff. I, I actually don't think a lot of this is actually even meant to be that adult or sexual. Um, I think just someone thought it was a funny idea and it comes across maybe because we're looking back you now almost 30 years there's something a little bit seedy I, and creepy about it but i think it was i, I think, think it was just like wouldn't time, it be funny yeah that was like a joke that was funny like yeah. how do you sleep with a computer teenage boys are horny like i think yeah. that was just like boys will be boys kind of time i agree it's i mean it's still funny that it's so bizarre <laughs> yeah. like truly strange stuff. well again for anyone who hasn't watched this she spends pretty much every scene either complaining about people not being nice to her or not paying attention to her or hitting on members of the crew. That's all the computer does. Just a voice. Just a voice yeah. in the air. Also, did you notice she mentioned, which I thought for sure was going to come back at the end of the episode, but did not, that it was Huxley's birthday tomorrow. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. There was there were so many of these weird things. I don't know if it was just an editing thing or they're just like, oh, yeah, and also it's that person's birthday. Why? <laughs> Doesn't matter. I thought for sure it was going to end on a birthday party, but it just never came back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um and they uh, also, on their sensors, pick up a new object pulling out mm-hmm. there. And it's uh, Commander Brown's old ship, the Vanguard Explorer. It's just floating. And uh, they decide they're going to stop. He wants to go get the old logs from the record. I guess so he maybe can clear his name or something. He just basically wants proof the yeah, mutiny happened. They didn't. Yeah, it was a weird thing that because they needed a motivation for them to want to go in the ship, which I thought was odd because it's like, yeah, he wants to go in the ship. Like, yeah, I, don't, I, I, I don't know if you needed this thing, but they did have to see the things like, I want to be able to have evidence to prove that that's what happened. It's like. No, I think we know what happened. You're by yourself and your crew's all dead. Like, we believe you. Yeah. It, no one no one was like, I think you might have eaten them all. <laughs> you know? What a twist. Yeah. So it's like, it was a weird that they needed to give that motivation. Yeah, yeah they but... needed to get them there. And in the end, uh, him, Dr. Sally, and Beanie board the ship to kind of look around the old trash bridge that we saw from last episode. I did like their AI has a very creaky voice. Yeah, that's right. So apparently what we've learned in this universe is every ship has some sort of personality to its AI. It's just that the one they've designed in Priscilla is the worst. It, yeah, it was a mistake. Um, Beanie, uh, he attempts to recover the ship's log and uh, gets very distressed when he accidentally deletes the mess hall breakfast program. Yeah. 
Sure. Because he's, he's so perfect. He's never made a mistake. Yeah. But he's he's basically trying to pull back information and yeah. he makes a couple mistakes, but don't worry, it's Beanie, so he fixes it. Yeah. And he, they get the log, but before they can get out of there, they're attacked by a robo-man. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to know what he looks like, it looks like Halloween <laughs> Halloween Borg. Yeah. Go go watch Halloween Borg. My favorite movie. <laughs> and it just... And this, this poor actor who who's really going to sell that he's a robot. He walks like a robot. He talks like a robot. He sort of, all his movements are robotic. But what they have is half of his face is... Like um, a metal plate a metal plate. Eye. It sort of looks a little bit like like Terminator when his face is kind of ripped off. But what they've done, because they have to cover um, the prosthetic of the, the robotic part of his face, is they give him possibly the worst wig I've ever seen. It looks like a bargain basement version of like the Incredible Hulk's wig. It's just the worst looking you're mop sort of thing on the top of his you're head. You're so good with wigs. I thought that was his hair. Did you? Oh, no, there's no way. It's just, it's clearly they were like, oh, you can see these seams. Just put that thing on his head. And it's just, it's distracting how bad it is. You're so good at spotting wigs. Thank you. But secret talent. Sometimes I do it in real life. Just walk down the street, <laughs> yeah. wig. You don't wig. see as many as you used to, but occasionally, every now and then, you get lucky and you see a wig. <laughs> Out in the wild? Yeah. Oh, man. That's a treat for you. Yeah, that's day. a treat. Yeah um yeah this is kind of where brown climbs back into the scaffolding to fight with this robot man yes that's right yeah this is the number two in this episode time and going um, into the scaffolding and we'll come to learn it's a it's a outlaw technology zone shell okay so look i wrote it down as every single time they said it i couldn't understand so i wrote shrill or shell i think it's a shell i think you're probably right i think it's a shell the uh the shell scoops up dr sally and he's gonna He's like he's carrying her in his arms, very Frankenstein or something. So yes. he's gonna put her in the escape pod because I guess his mission is basically to gather data here and also like just get rid of anyone who drops by. But what I like is they give you the impression he's very powerful. He sort of just knocks people aside, but he's also the slowest moving person very ever. Very slow, fairly nonviolent actually. Yeah. So and what I like is though because he's they made this choice that he has to move so slow it's a lot of the actors waiting for him to arrive like they'll run upstairs and then they have to wait for him to slowly make his way up and it's like and just close the door or something um but brown ends up defeating him by what pulling an electric cord out of the wall and like zapping him yeah i think that's what he does he pulls it off like the control panel and zaps him and that apparently that's its weakness it disables him um, that's its Westworld, uh, uh, Westworld uh, yeah that robot one thing. robot it is electricity is what yeah. kills it <laughs> Sally feels bad for it, though, because it's part human. So she's like, we should bring it back on the ship and just, like, fix it up. Did you get the percentage of robot and human? I did, because Willie from the planet, he knows all about them because he mm-hmm. saw them getting made on the Expo. That's right. What's the percentage, though? The brain is 62% or electronic. Yeah. What I liked about that, though, is they said it's 62% electronic and then, like, a couple beat and a couple more li- lines. And then they went, 38% organic. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, that's how math works. <laughs> I got it. But it's just like, I love that they just like, someone's going, oh, hold on, hold on. If that's 62%, what's the rest of it? Uh, Willie also knows they have a built-in self-destruction function. Mm-hmm. So they have uh, Sally and Beanie have to like disconnect it. And there's like, like a thing comes off the ceiling, but not quite far enough down. It was weird. Yeah. So he's laying on like, like a, a medical bed. bed yeah. yeah. And, and they're like, oh, we have to uh, deactivate it. So... This sort of scanner comes down, but it sort of looks a little bit like... It's very bulky. It's like an upside down, like, ice castle. I don't know. what it, It's very weird looking. But yeah, it doesn't touch him or even come anywhere near him. But I'm assuming that's the sensor that's also... I guess that's also... Stuff. It's probably like their... I'm assuming they want it to be like their electric, like probably a laser would come out and do surgery and right. stuff. But the like effects, maybe budget wasn't put into that particular piece of equipment. Right. Anyways, uh, it works. Yeah, they, they managed to disconnect him and... Um, they wake the shell up and he tells them he's uh, 
He's he's a shell designation SJ three eight one. He's been on a mission out uh, out there to retail I- information back to the OTZ, and uh, they ask him kind of how many other shells are out there, and he says there's twenty uh, two thousand seven hundred and eighty more shells out in space. Mm. Real v- future adventures. A real a real a Borg to come. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also kind of warns them that they're all on route to a point in space where they're going to assemble something that will be capable of great destruction. So they know the they're up to some mysterious assembly, now, which is what they'll constantly refer to it as, out in space. Now, I won't say what the assembly is, as we're going to find out. At this point in the show, and you see little bits of things very quickly on screen and stuff. Did you know what assembly was? I didn't know. I didn't know what they were building. I knew they were building something. I was pretty sure what they were building. Really? You knew you you could you could see the ending. I knew what they were building. I didn't know the last piece. Uh, but I knew what they were building. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I guess as we go through we'll we'll find out more. Like they have like it's like there's six ships headed to assembly and like you you see you see pictures of them or like out, mm-hmm. schematics of them. They're all like oddly shaped. So, I guess you could I I can see how you maybe pieced it together. I also don't think it was that much of a mystery. It's a mystery, man. It's a huge <laughs> mystery. Um everyone kind of leaves at this point cuz they got all the information they can get out of the shell and Sally feels bad for kind of uh you know, this person who is forced to become this robot man. And before she leaves, he's feeling disoriented because all his circuits have been turned off. So mm-hmm. she turns on a few of his circuits um, and that will later become a bad idea. Yeah. He's complaining about uh, that he's feeling pain. So she, he's first sort of kind of in his robotic way, thanks her for reducing his pain. But then he's kind of complaining about other stuff. She's just like, yes, I'll turn off a couple of your... Um, I won't turn on movement, but you can have a couple of your yeah. other, like, sensors. But back. then we get at the end of the scene, we see a thing where he like takes his hand and he touches his own head and, and makes it glow. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, that's that's something. Shouldn't turn the circuits on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll come back to him because uh, Admiral Beasley at this point gets word. He's got good sensors on the ship. He knows everything that happens. Yeah, he really does. He gets word that the uh, Earth Star Voyager has picked up a shell and he, and he starts freaking out. He wants to know, is it a warrior? Is it a drone? What kind of shell did they pick up? And he's just like, listen, doesn't matter. We have to get there now and stop them. Like they can't have a shell on that ship. So he's like, all right, none of this more. No more of this hiding. We have to get there right they now. They really set it up that these shells are the most dangerous thing ever but again so slow movie so slow movie that it doesn't quite match with what they're talking about about this great threat i mean i guess they're very hard to stop that's true they're they're, they are hard to make not do something they are like very slow like there is very little threat to them like you can get out of their way very easily but you you it's yeah maybe they need a tripwire or something so it falls over right (laughs) um the wig falls off that's right Beanie and Priscilla, meanwhile, have been scanning the uh, Vanguard Explorer's logs to try to get some more information. This is where they kind of find out that six ships have passed by the Vanguard Explorer, or these OTZ ships, and they're they're all on their way to this um, assembly pinpoint. And we get to watch Priscilla in action. Uh, she's, like, scanning the data, and it's visualized mm-hmm. with something that reminded me of, like, a prop that would be on uh, The Price is Right or something. That, you know what? That's a very good way of saying it. What it is is... Along the side of the, let's say the bridge. Yeah, I don't know we'll call what they the call bridge. the bridge. But there's sort of a long, thin panel. Mm-hmm. Um, With like fake looking circuits on it. Or yeah. Something. And then there's a, I don't know what you would call it. Sort of like. It's like a clear plastic arrow with like one red line in the middle. Like if you were playing a game of prices right and you had to hit a button, this thing would like slide back and yeah. forth and you'd hit yeah. a button and it would stop under a number and you'd be like, oh, you've picked 25 and they're, cents. They're, and they're like, are you looking for data? She's like, I'm trying. Yeah. Well, she's sort of talking about, it's kind of, we do get a little bit of an idea of what it's like to be a computer person, I guess. Because she's talking about how uh, 
she's trying to corner the data on this drive and she at some point she calls out come back here you little beast and they're like what's it like to be a computer in there and she's just like that's kind of spooky it, it was a weird thing because i thought it was odd that they even called mention to that because that opens a whole can of worms of the morality of doing this because Luke, let's say I took your consciousness and I made you into a computer. Wouldn't that just shatter your world? I mean, you know? it, it does imply that she's in a nightmare of some sort. That's what I mean. It's like, but it's like, <laughs> I wouldn't have even really thought of that if they didn't mention it. But they like called a question like, oh yeah, by the way, it's kind of spooky for her. Anyway, robot boy. And you're like, no, 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 that's, that's something horrible that you've done. But they're just like, isn't it funny? Is it? A, what a weird thing. <laughs> what a weird thing. And she's having this, the horrible existential crisis. I'm a mind and a machine. (laughs) But all this work she's doing tells them that the assembly point these six ships are headed to is actually directly in their course, like the path they're on to head to Demeter. Now, did I get this wrong? Is it two suns? Yes. Twin suns orbiting each other. Right. And uh, you know what? I We see them later, and it's is a low budget effect, but I actually kind of liked it. The, you never really see the suns. They're always kind of like out of focus, but they're kind of like glimmering in the background. I thought they did a nice job. I didn't job think it looked that, that bad. I thought the mo- it fit the rest of the model work pretty well. Um, but yeah, they're headed toward these two suns. They're, they're, they figure they're doing the assembly there because the suns are putting out a great deal of solar energy, which is, I guess, how they power things. These suns are going to be at their closest orbit. Uh, their, their perigee, as they keep calling it. Mm. In uh, three hours and 17 minutes, about the same time, they will arrive at yeah. uh, assembly so jonathan proposes an idea he's like hey i don't know what these ships are up to but i don't like it what if we take our solar discs we'll turn them from uh, store to reflect and we'll just basically when we get there the sun will be at its most powerful we'll just turn our solar discs into solar lasers blast them out of the sky yeah i thought it was a bit of a jump to get there but i'm like well that's that's a provide. It's also, a, has Jonathan ever really shown that his first response is like an aggressive stance? Because I don't think he has. And this, I thought this was a little out of character that he was just like, and I know why they had to have to propel the plot and they have to get there. But it was just like for someone who's they've shown kind of be unsure and he's being forced in this position of power where he's it's weird because he has to be in charge of his friends and stuff. And then like by the way, he's, he's like, yeah, let's just make a laser and kill everyone. Well, I mean. He just watched Dr. Brown, Dr. Brown, Commander Brown get thrown yeah. to a pit. His last captain was killed. He's become hardened. It's, That's it's true. scary out in space. Yeah. In the last six hours that they've been traveling. He's been terrified. He's, <laughs> he, he's like, he can't take anymore. He doesn't kill anything that moves. Uh, and worse yet, that blip that's been following them, they don't know the, adma- the uh, admiral. It's going to catch them at the same time. Yeah. The stakes have never been higher, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just say now, there's a lot of loose plot threads. And I don't know how much is just minor obstacles along the way and how much is just fun ideas they thought we'll deal with later but i would have much rather spent more time with a robo boy a robo boy yeah well good news we'll talk about him right now because he gets up out of his uh he does his sick bed and hacks his way out of the sick bay well it was interesting because they take a lot of time in the previous scene where uh old uh, uh blondie funny hair dr sally yeah dr sally i'm never gonna know any of their names dr sally they have her go through like a quite a few series of security like she opens a panel then it takes her to a door then another door there's another panel and i was like oh that's interesting and the reason they did that is so it shows how quickly he gets through that he's able to because he's a robo guy he's able to yeah he, he hacks his stuff. way through the panel and he kind of go he starts walking and what they basically realize is they can't shoot him they can't they can try to s- slow him down but because he is a quite literally a time bomb they just were like well 
he's just going to come and we have to figure out what to do. So he just sort of walks his way all the way to the bridge. I mean, he stops by the uh, he he stops by the railgun first and smashes it to pieces. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Or, yeah. You remember Willie was there and he's just like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Do you know who Willie looks like? No. Did you get a good look at him? Because He's got that beard. Yeah. You know, a bit of a slight man. He looks like you. Oh, he looks like me. I Willie. Think, I think Willie and you have. I think I think you and Willie his. I think you guys have a very similar body type and like general look. So I don't remember him being a gorgeous muscular man. No, no, you guys are the same. <laughs> Go back. You're, you, I think if you looked at him now, you'd be like, what a handsome devil. Oh, maybe. I vaguely remember him. He, I mean, he's always kind of in the background. Just but, like me. But he like, he's kind of your height. He's kind of your build. And he kind of had your exact same beard. And like, did he seem really disappointed in everything that was happening around him? A hundred percent. Oh, then yes. He's just like me. He was, he, he saw that Roboman tearing apart his, uh, and I guess he didn't build it, but he's the, the railgun. He's just like, oh man, I'm gonna yeah. have to rebuild this. I think I'm starting to like this Willie. But yes, after he smashes that, he slowly walks his way toward the bridge, and they've been warned by Willie that he's coming. And it's very funny because uh, there's really nothing that can stop him. So he kind of walks in, he smashes Huxley, just yeah. Huxley just runs at him, and then he walks up to one of the computer terminals and he just like kicks it and like destroys priscilla yeah they were like oh yeah that apparently doing that hitting that one panel like that was it well that was that was just the tower that was the one computer tower yeah i think he knocks two of them out but yeah they were just a dual running towers she was just on the cd-roms inside (laughs) it basically looks like he's unstoppable until he notices dr sally and he he goes up to dr sally and he he remembers her kindness and says you help me but i'm programmed to destroy and he has this sort of uh they really want to play with this idea that that 38 percent yeah the human part of himself is really fighting the programmed computer part and he's like whoa what do i do and and so what does he do luke uh, he raises his hand to the side of his head and electrocutes his brain yeah and i thought what an anticlimactic ending and i know why because they set up this foe that they can't beat i'm like they set up a great problem there's he's stronger than them he's never going to stop and if they attack him too hard, he's going to blow up. And it's like, that's great. But then like, hey, he just turns himself off. I did enjoy because that like that's a classic sci-fi trope where like the part man, part machine has to have yeah. that battle within himself. And they just like they bang it off in 30 seconds. Like yeah. boom, boom, boom. It's over. But I mean, it's it's one of the I don't know if it's so much a flaw in this show, but it's an odd choice for a lot of things they do. Too they, many ideas. There's too many ideas and they sort of set them up as obstacles, but they're not really because you can take any of these out of the show. You could take the whole plot of the robot out of the show and you wouldn't really notice I mean, it. They just needed the robot to establish the ships, but you could have had right. them find that information even he, just on the other ship. Yeah. They could have went on the ship and said, oh, look, there's something called assembly. Boom. Cut to it. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. There certainly was ways around it. I, I did like watching him just electrocute his own brain. I, yeah, just, I, oh, I liked I, him too. I was just like, he, I like, he's like, well, I'm just going to zap my own brain bye everybody and that's the end of him and you know what i I wish though is that he had just been laying on the floor for the rest of the show they couldn't move him he's too heavy exactly and it's just like adventures later on years later he's just it's just rotting on the floor so you kind of flash forward a bit and basically the ship's offline their rail guns destroyed they're theoretically still semi floating toward assembly and the uh admiral's ships coming up behind them but they basically are like blind and we kind of see beanie trying to fix priscilla and we see Willie and the uh, Commander Brown trying to fix the railgun. Mm-hmm. What I did enjoy though is like we see them both working and fixing it, and then we cut back to the bridge and Willie stands up or Be- Beanie stands up. He's like, "All right, I fixed her." And then uh, uh, Commander Brown walks through. He's like, "Well, fix the railgun too." I'm like, "Such good timing, you two yeah. nailed it right right in the same second." Again, another funny thing of like, there's a problem and they just fixed it immediately. It's because I think they set a clock but didn't know how to t- count it down because they said we only have three hours to get there. 
So when everything's back up and running, they're just like, they look at what's happening. They've lost control of uh, several of the solar disks. So like their plan is now more in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. They don't know if they can pull it off with what they have. And they only have a five second window to attempt this solar laser anyway. And the OTZ ships have already begun to assemble themselves. So uh, do we learn at this point what no. the assembly is? No. Because Captain, because Captain Jonathan's just like, we don't have time. We're not going to get there in time. We don't have enough things. He's just like abandons the plan. He's just like, this isn't our mission. We're supposed to go to Demeter. Let's just like leave this and go, which is funny because I'm like, why didn't you guys just do that to begin with? But I did like that uh, Beanie is like basically thinks Jonathan's a coward now. Yeah, they have this like uh, like 15 to 20 second all out fight. Yeah. And uh, Beanie's not impressed by his cowardice. Such a coward, that Captain Jonathan. Yeah. He, but, he, but he did want to kill everyone 10 minutes ago. He did. He was strong for a second, but he gave in too mm -hmm. quickly. Um, but this is what happens is, is they change course and attempt to like head off to the planet. But uh, Admiral Beasley catches up to them in his ship and he uh, he has them arm his weapon systems, which also lower from the roof above his uh, desk. Mm -hmm. And he starts basically shooting warning shots across their bow, forcing them to change, essentially change their direction and gets them basically back on course to hit assembly. It's at this point that they start really looking at what's happening in assembly and all the ships are right. coming together to build one giant ship. One Megazord. Yeah, one great Megazord. <laughs> I mean, it's clear at this point they're making some sort of gigantic ship. But what I what I didn't realize is that... Um, what's the ship called? Voyager? Yes. Voyager is sort of the final piece of the puzzle. That's going to go... Yeah, they're looking at the completed ship and there's just a hole in the center yeah. of it. And they realize, hey, that's a First Star Voyager-shaped hole. Yeah. What, what's going on here? And Admiral Beasley finally like reveals himself by cutting his jamming signals and like doing a hail to them and explaining to them, hey... This has all been part of my master plan. I've been using the OTZ as a workforce to build this giant ship. I had you all picked because you're all the best of humanity. And Priscilla is the thing that's going to run this. And like, this is all part of a plan to get you guys here so you could fit into this final piece. And this has all been about the survival of the species, not those fools on Earth. I don't know if I fully understand his position other than because he's like, you guys are the best of the best. So you're going to be the new people to populate. I was like, couldn't you have just send them on that mission i'm not sure if there's an idea that they might actually attack earth as well right because he doesn't why, say that because why build that whole ship if you were sending them there anyway but there's there's some indication there was some right. like he had plans to do something i think there was some indication too that he wanted robot slaves for them right right but yeah like i guess that his whole plan was like we're just gonna like take the best leave all the crap crap behind on Earth and basically start a new civilization. This has been his plan all along. And Beanie's like, start a new civilization with ladies? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Um, Jonathan, of course, refuses this, but uh, the Admiral is like, listen, we're going to do it either way. So what, what are you complaining? Let me talk to your crew and let, let's let them decide. I felt this scene of him talking to Jonathan, because what you guys, the Admiral basically making his pitch, it just went on and on. Well, he's making a pitch and while that's happening... Because basically Jonathan allows him to make a pitch to the crew so that Beanie can sneak up and try yeah, to fix He's stalling him. Yeah, because the Admiral is taking control. He has like remote control now of the entire ship. Beanie's trying to disconnect his remote control so that Priscilla can take the ship back and they can do something about it. And obviously the suns are coming to perigee soon. They only have so many time left. And in this moment where he's doing this pitch, they finally manage to like turn off this whatever it is, this disabling device mm -hmm. on Priscilla. So we finally get a shot outside the ship where the suns hit perigee. They use their solar lasers just to blow this giant uh, assembly ship out of the sky. Or at least, like, damage it. it yeah. It wasn't as big an explosion. No, as and they actually do mention later that they, they they just disabled it. They didn't damage it because I think they want to go 
Yeah, it might come back later. Yeah, they could fix it and use yeah. it again. Um, and of course, Admiral Beasley isn't happy that they've now destroyed his very expensive ship that he spent so long building mm-hmm. with robot slaves. Yeah. And uh, he's like, all right, screw it. Uh, arm the weapons. We're just going to kill these people. And uh, this is where Jonathan's like, wait, wait, wait. Listen, I ha- I was, I've been thinking about it in the last 30 seconds since we yeah. pulled this up. And I think maybe you're right. Maybe we can fix that. And maybe we should do what you wanted. And Jonathan's forced to like filibuster for like 10 minutes yeah because the idea is if we get close enough we can use our rail gun to disable them so yeah so they're going slowly getting closer and closer and he's got a vamp for a while he's got a vamp for a while but even as they get close enough commander brown hits the rail gun like the plunger that shoots the rail gun it doesn't work and he's just like keep stalling keep keep spinning your wheels i gotta go fix the rail gun and yeah this vamping just (laughs) goes on and on and it's very funny because at some point the admiral's just like what are you doing? Like, I can tell you're stalling. I can tell you're stalling. Listen, we're just going to board you now. We're so close. We're just going to yeah. board you now. And we see uh, we see Commander Brown, like, trying to fix the railgun down there. And finally, he just takes two circuit boards and shoves them together and electrocutes himself. Yeah. I, I got the idea they were going for. That basically, like, he's such a man's man. And he's, and he's such a... So handy. Out, out, he's so handy. He's such an out-of-the-box thinker, outside of the box, that he just could do something. But it's like, is he just electrocuting himself to how why what is that he couldn't, an idea? he couldn't find a way to get the electricity to go through so he used himself as the conductor yeah. but don't worry that's exactly what it needed this is what it needed and now willie's able to shoot three or four shots from the rail gun mm-hmm. and very devastating shots on the uh on uh, i believe this is called the uh, what's it called the corsair something like that something like that yeah yeah he shoots the admiral's ship and like it's actually kind of fun they land like they destroy his weapons and his nav and like the ship's pretty badly damaged and they're like all right Let's get out of here now that we've defeated the Admiral. And the Admiral's like, mm, I'll get you, kids. Yeah. I'll get you later. I'm another villain you might see later on. <laughs> and uh, we kind of end with them all gathered on the bridge as they're, as they're flying away. Uh, Brown's fine. He got over his electrocution. Yeah, and they have another scene where he might have a, ro- a romantic relationship with Blondie. Yeah, yeah. They're really falling in love. And uh, we see Whistle Sticks again. He's finally back. <laughs> Whistle Sticks. And he, he does coin tricks, too. He's showing Huxley some new coin tricks. Yeah. <laughs> sure who would you like better hot dog or whistle sticks i like whistle sticks that name what a name that's your new nickname it's my new nickname yeah yeah yeah. whistle sticks sure why not i'll be hot dog sure you got that ponytail (laughs) hey not after you cut it off and gave it to the masses (laughs) as they bullied me as they bullied you chased you around (laughs) and uh beanie reveals he's been working with priscilla to defuzz the fuzzy footage they got off the vanguard explorer like was that what they said yeah, I think that's from the or it's from the satellite that found the planet initially that got them sent on this mission. Oh right, yeah, and yeah, yeah. It was yeah. unclear, so he's been working basically to like clean up the footage, and they put it on, and we get to see what Demeter is going to look like. It just looks like Northern Ontario or Northern Michigan or something. Yeah, it's just it's a beautiful mountainous sort of uh, um, just trees and yeah. autumn and like kind of the idea is going to be then. And Priscilla's just like I made a little change this too. I uh, I create a simulation where you and that girl you have a crush on are holding hands on the planet. I'm going to show it to everybody now. And Beanie's so embarrassed. I actually thought what she had made was, was I just think it's because of the height difference. I thought it was supposed to be Beanie and his mom. And that's why they're all laughing at him because they're like, look at this mama's boy. I didn't realize that was the other girl. No, it was supposed to be him holding hands with a girl he likes. Oh. That's very funny. And as they're staring at it, uh, their faces are like staring at the screens and we get like close-ups of, the, of them staring in awe in mm-hmm. the footage. And then Dr. Sally runs in and says, hey, great news. That girl in a coma is out. <laughs> she's yeah. back. Yeah. We're not, I'm not bringing her back, though. We, we wrapped her yesterday, so she's not here. Yeah. And they uh, they sail off into the stars, off to Demeter to yeah. have further adventures. Further adventures. But they don't. 
I mean, it didn't go any further. It didn't go any What further. adventures we had. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'll, I'll say this for the second episode. A lot more happens. Now, to no real real point but a lot more piloty, but yeah like it, it they just try to they're really trying to load up everything the show could be yeah but just in glimpses of it so mm-hmm. like things just like speed through very quickly it's like robot men uh we're, yeah. we're gonna see all kinds of cool stuff yeah now let me ask you luke we, we talked about this uh in the first episode they seeded a few times that we might see aliens we did not in fact see aliens I were, know. were you disappointed I thought we might get a tease. I thought as well. But they did talk about them again. Beanie at some point was yeah. like drawing what he thought an alien might look like who grew up on Demeter. So yeah. I think there was still a possibility. Yeah, but we didn't get not in these uh, this three hours. There was no time for we an ne- alien. We never, got, we never got the Kung Fu Creators <laughs> mas- sci-fi <laughs> no. masterpiece. So a quick final notes here, Jordan. I don't know if, if you have anything, but uh, you sent me this. Is You had found, mm-hmm. because it aired as part of the Disney, uh, Magical World of Disney, it had an intro sequence where Michael Eisner toured the sets with yeah. Mickey, Minnie, and Goofy, all dressed in spacesuits. Yeah. With Beanie giving them the tour. And you know what's funny? When I, I found that and then sent it to you right away, because that's more important than work, what I realized was... Something I feel like that I, was Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Was it 7 in the morning? Anyways. Um, well, also, I don't sleep. I sort of hadn't realized that I think the whole point of Beanie was... The same reason, you know, the character of Robin was created for Batman. It's it, it's an in for a kid. And I didn't even really think of that because there's so many uh, young people. young characters. But I do think that is the whole point of him is he's the one you're supposed to relate to as a young viewer. And so that's why he's the one presenting this show. And Absolutely. This thing. And the little vignettes were fun. Uh, Michael Eisner, surprisingly personable in these scenes. Yeah. Because he like basically has to act against two people or three people in suits and a little kid. And like... They're looking around the ship and he's showing them around. And then later they go to the fast food place and order burgers. And Michael Eisner tries to take a bite out of the burger and it all falls apart. And he's just like, oh, man. At some point he gets like blasted into space, I think. Yeah, like, I, didn't, I didn't get through the whole thing. Oh, no? Oh, it was a lot of fun. I'll check it out after. But but it did remind me, though, I had forgotten about these things. But I actually remember being a kid and watching these wonderful World of Disney and having Michael Eisner be at the beginning of them. Yeah, the little host of it. He's yeah. taking up the old Walt Disney role. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. What a treat. Ah, the 80s. What a treat. All right, Jordan. Should we write this? Part two? Yes. What do you What do you got for me? I know that you like this a lot more than I did, and we established that in the in the first episode. And I, I was thinking about, sometimes we agree, sometimes we don't agree. And I was trying to think why we had such different views of this. And I think what it was was you liked the, the little elements of the show that were kind of interesting. And there were definitely a lot of things like, the cryosleep, the way uh, the science elements worked and uh, the way the ship traveled and all the little bits of the somewhat, the realism that was added. And I think what I didn't like was that all those little bits didn't really add up to much for me. Like they weren't, the some of the parts didn't add up to anything. Right. So yeah, there was like, I, I listed a couple of things. I was like, the idea of cryosleep, nothing really happened with it. The idea that they're kids and they're going to have to have this long, lonely journey. They don't really do anything with it. Uh, there's like a Borg robot. Uh, he just kills himself. Uh, Lance, the villain, comes back. Uh, then he just like leaves. There's a whole bunch of series. Of, and I know why. They're obstacles. And you're right. They're setting them up for later adventures. But in terms of a three-hour pilot or even two one-and-a-half-hour pilot, it didn't come into a cohesive whole for me. So it just felt like it was a lot of stumbling blocks to get to a sort of disappointing ending to assembly to assembly and yeah and so i i think uh i think in in terms of that 
that's why I didn't, uh, it didn't jive with me. Fair that's, enough. That's a long way of saying that. So I'm going to say 6.5. That's incredible to me that it's that low for you. Yeah. I actually, if I think about it now, the first episode, I actually would rate even lower. I like this one more than I like the other one. I would, I would retroactively make that a six. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Well, but I think I, I, that's what I mean. It's just, you like those little bits more than I do. And for me, it's just like a long kind of pointless thing that you've set up stuff, but like you don't do anything with it. So what I'm watching is just a boring show, you know, <laughs> but you're just describing space rangers. <laughs> yeah. But we're not talking about space rangers. That's a different show. But I mean, th- those were episodic episodes where stuff happened, even if it was badly done. Well, I mean, I, it's just weird. Your complaints are the, like, I think are the exact complaints I had about space rangers. It's just very funny to me how yeah. different you feel about those two shows. Yeah. Well, Fair enough, but what? But you're you're gonna give this an eleven? I'm gonna get a seven point five. Seven point five. Yeah. You think this was? You so you like the first one half better than the second half? I think I like them pretty equally. I think, but I I think between the two, like I liked assembly, but I think I think you are correct in that because I think I expected this to start as a new episode, but it really was continuation. And at the start there, we kind of had just a little bit of like too much downtime, like mm. them hanging out talking about their relationships them finding that space music like it's fun ideas but that sort of there's right. sort of like a dead zone in the first 20 minutes where nothing happened once they got to assembly things started rolling again i like the assembly stuff and, and that's almost a thing now i don't know if i even found the whole point of assembly that interesting for a pilot but it does seem like a very piloty kind of plot i just kind of wish that and this might be a, just a normal complaint on my side that this was half the length if that was just the oh, plot yeah I, I, I honestly think I'm like, maybe it would have been a seven or seven and a half. It's just that there was so many. It was over. I mean, was, that's the thing. It's like you could have easily edited this down into yeah. a single hour. It wouldn't have been an issue because it's there. We expected them to be two separate, like broken. Like it was like three episodes combined, but it really wasn't. It really was just a single thing with a weird middle ground that happened. Yeah. That you really could have probably cut around. And you mentioned it before, I think, in the last episode that the thought that maybe this was you know, actually three would be eventually broken to like maybe three or more episodes. But I don't know now watching this. No, second well, that's half, what I'm saying. I don't think it works anymore. No, I don't. I, that's what I'm saying is it, that was what, how it felt coming into that one. Cause it felt like there was a cohesive end and then it started a new episode. But this second one was just like more of a continuation of the first one. So yeah, yeah. no, I, I think that is completely wrong actually, because it doubt is not how it ended up feeling because there's no conclusion to them on the expo planet. Like that just stopped and but, then continued. But overall, our average this is about a seven overall between our two of us. Probably a give or take, right? Yeah, probably a little higher than that even. So that's not a bad review for for this. And I think compared to some of the things we've watched, but w- would you recommend this to someone? Yeah, 100%. See, you would say, I wouldn't. Really? Yeah. You don't think someone would have fun watching the show? I, I, I'd recommend to you. <laughs> you know, you know, you know that, that's, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious. I think if people have fond memories of this kind of, like if, if you uh, this kind of sci-fi or they're really i just they would have to be a very specific kind of person to like this kind of thing i do think like a general person who just yeah like, but that's not who this is for maybe not but, but i mean, I, I but, mean uh, it's like I, I if i if i have to find a like one in a hundred person who would really like this yeah i guess i could recommend to that one I mean, person s- someone listening to this i mean someone to listen to this maybe maybe i think that's you I, know I think the thing that's the thing i, I don't think it's what would i think stop me i don't think this is very fun see and i disagree i actually thought it was a lot of fun did you really i honestly i had a great time watching these two episodes i think that's what it was missing was i think the fun they had were all these uh huxley dances and the robot is thing it's like but it just didn't 
I don't know. It just didn't gel at all for me. I'm surprised. I I I I mean, I'm not saying it gelled, but I, like I thought it was just weird and fun and like just there's just such random moments and I don't know. It it worked yeah. for me. It definitely yeah. worked for me. Well, oh well. Next You'll time. always have Space Rangers. I'll always have this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. And Quark. Yeah, you do love Quark. Yeah, I don't love Quark, <laughs> but it's there. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps it up for Earth Star Voyager. We'll, uh, you know, have some clips of this up on mm-hmm. uh, Instagram and Twitter at Continuing Drag. And if you have any recollection of watching this, maybe when in the, in the mid-80s, if you were surfing through TV and like you came across Disney, maybe you want to email us and tell us your thoughts on, on old Earth Star Voyager. Or but, you're just a, you're just a fan of robots with bad wigs. Robots with bad wigs. Yeah. Well, I mean, that must be something you're a fan of. I was. That was maybe my favorite part of this. <laughs> but that about wraps it up for this week. Uh, and next week, I think we'll be back with a new series. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we gonna do? Oh, we're gonna do Day of the Triffids. Day of the Triffids. Yes. Uh, British BBC mid sixties, seventies, eighties, something like that. Maybe the eighties. I think. I think it's early eighties. This version, I think, is the early eighties. Yeah, it could be. Um, but until then, Jordan. Good go recording with you. I'll see you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Siedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes, Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Jane McRae, and Stephen Packard. <laughs>